Welcome to Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. In this episode, we begin a three-part sub-series looking at Matthew's narrative of Jesus' first three individual, detailed healings. Now, in unpacking the passage today, I will talk about contagion, quarantine, and social codes that excluded people. But none of this is in any way an intentional reference to current events. When I wrote this episode about a year ago, I did not know that we would be in a worldwide pandemic, nor did I know that this episode would be aired during a resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I want to stipulate that this episode is more relevant to the latter than the former, more relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement than to the pandemic. What is going on in these healing stories is more social than epidemiological. The contagion and quarantine that I will speak of were social and legal constructs. This should not be confused with the instructions being given to us during this pandemic, which are based on modern science. I want to stress that I fully support social distancing, wearing masks, and all the other instructions that we are being given during this pandemic by public health experts. That being said, let's return to the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Through three healing stories, Matthew depicts Jesus resuming his campaign of healing the masses that Matthew first tells us about in chapter 4. After delivering a speech about the new society, stressing reconciliation and solidarity, Jesus immediately engages in three acts of reconciliation, involving a person marginalized due to a skin condition, an enemy military leader, and a woman. Today we will unpack the first of these three interactions. My name is Bert Newton, and this is episode 15 of Bible Study, Parody, and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Let's begin with the text, Matthew 8, 1-4. When Jesus had come down from the mountain... Great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. One of the first clarifications that needs to be made about this story is that the leper in this story probably does not have leprosy in the modern sense of the term. The Greek word used here for leprosy may refer to various skin diseases or conditions. It can even refer to mold growing in a house. So we are not necessarily talking about the contagious and debilitating disease that we call leprosy today, also known as Hansen's disease. But the man in our text today has some sort of significant skin condition which makes him an outcast in society, according to the law. Now, the diagnosis of this so-called leprosy, according to Leviticus, is made by a priest. 
which is an important point since in our text in Matthew, Jesus sends him back to the priest. There are a couple of chapters in Leviticus which describe the diagnostic criteria for this skin condition. According to the text in Leviticus, the diagnostic procedure is meticulous and can result in a quarantine. So we may easily get the impression that the priests are trying to protect the community from infectious disease. Most scholars, however, are adamant that we should not view the unclean status of these so-called lepers in terms of modern medicine. The priests, according to the scholars that have studied this, are not trying to prevent the spread of dangerous germs, but rather they are trying to control a contagion of ritual impurity. They are upholding an ancient purity code. Now, all societies have purity codes, including our own. For example, in the U.S., we generally consider insects not fit to eat, whereas some 3,000 ethnic groups throughout most of the rest of the world incorporate insects as a part of their regular diet. So for us, insects are an unclean food. They are not unhealthy to eat, if prepared appropriately like many other things that we eat, but we consider them to be unclean. It has nothing to do with science. We also have a history of considering certain people unclean, so to speak. The most prominent example of this, of course, is our history of racial codes, based on the unscientific theory of race. These codes have at times been very overtly written into law, and more recently have been covertly embedded in our law and also in our social attitudes and behavior. So we have purity codes that have nothing to do with medical science, that have been embedded into the legal framework as well as the social fabric of our society. Well, many ancient pre-scientific societies formalized their purity codes into law as well. Israel was no different. It had purity codes which identified when things or people were clean or unclean. And while the idea was that impurity for people was a temporary state, the reality was that for many, it was effectively a permanent state. Now, even though I have read through the scholarly literature on this that tells me that we are dealing here merely with ancient purity codes, the code in Leviticus that describes the diagnosis of an unclean skin condition still appears to me to be at least partly motivated by the easily observable fact that disease can spread. I don't think you need modern science to figure that out. But since I am no expert on the subject of ancient medicine or purity codes, I will concede this point to the majority of scholars who insist that ancient societies were completely unaware of contagious diseases and constructed their purity codes solely to reflect cultural biases and to protect social norms. And although I do suspect that in the case of so-called leprosy, observation of the spread of a disease and social concerns both seem to have played a role I do agree that the social aspect was primary and is what our text in Matthew addresses. So let's go with that. Now, since the person diagnosed with an unclean skin condition was considered contagious, they were, by law, quarantined from the rest of society. For as long as the condition persisted, they were social outcasts. Here is the text from Leviticus 
that describes their quarantine. Leviticus 13, 45-46 Persons who have the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of their heads be disheveled, and they shall cover their upper lips and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! They shall remain unclean as long as they have the disease. They are unclean. They shall live alone. Their dwelling shall be outside the camp. That outside-the-camp bit refers to the time that Israel was still a band of former slaves wandering in the desert before arriving in Canaan. It would later be interpreted to mean that the leper must live alone outside of any city or village, an outcast of society as long as the disease persists, which in many cases could be for life. So whatever else this story in Matthew is about, it is about Jesus making a way for a social outcast to come back into society. How Jesus does this is a matter of some debate. New Testament scholar Ched Myers, who has analyzed the version of this story found in the Gospel of Mark, which is very similar to the version found here in Matthew, states that Jesus does not actually heal the man, but rather simply declares the man clean. Myers contends that the man has likely already tried to have himself declared clean by the priests, but has been rejected. Jesus then assumes priestly authority to declare the man clean and sends the man back to the official priests as a clean person, a sort of in-your-face challenge to the official priest's authority, authority which they have used to keep people marginalized. The man is to offer the prescribed gifts and sacrifices at the temple that are required to certify his status as a clean person, and he is to do it as a witness against the priests. The Greek text allows for the translation as a witness against them. So that's one interpretation of what's going on in this story. Here is another. Reza Aslan, in his famous book, Zealot, the life and times of Jesus of Nazareth, believes that Jesus does actually heal the man in this passage, but that the instruction to go to the priest to make the offering required to certify the healing, and thus his status as a clean person, is a joke. Aslan cites the passage from Leviticus that spells out the sacrificial process required to certify cleanliness. This is the passage he cites. Leviticus 14, 3-20. Forewarning, this is a long and tedious passage, but I will try to speed it up as best I can. If the disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command that two living clean birds and cedar wood and crimson yarn and hyssop be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall command that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water in an earthen vessel. He shall take the living bird and the cedar wood and the crimson yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over fresh water. He shall sprinkle it seven times upon the one who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. He shall pronounce him clean. He shall let the living bird go into the open field. The one who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp, but shall live outside his tent seven days. On the seventh day, he shall shave all his hair of his head, 
beard, eyebrows. He shall shave all his hair. Then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. On the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb in his first year without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of choice flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. The priest who cleanses shall set the person to be cleansed, along with these things, before the Lord, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest shall take one of the lambs, and offer it as a guilt offering, along with the log of oil, and raise them as an elevation offering before the Lord. He shall slaughter the lamb in the place where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered, in the holy place. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the person to be cleansed, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. The priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Some of the oil that remains in his hand the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for the one to be cleansed from uncleanliness. Afterward he shall slaughter the burnt offering, and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement on on his behalf, and he shall be cleansed. That is the process laid out in Torah to certify the healing or cleansing of an unclean skin condition. It's a long, complicated eight-day process requiring the person with the skin condition to provide three lambs plus some grain, flour, and oil, a considerable expense. To be fair, Leviticus goes on to lay out an alternative process for a poor person which is less expensive, but it really doesn't get that much better. Aslan concludes that such a process is far too onerous for any common person in the first century to have any chance of accomplishing. So Jesus must be joking. Now, Myers and Aslan disagree about whether the story is about an actual physical healing or whether Jesus actually sends the man to the priest, but they both agree on one thing. Jesus assumes the authority of a priest. The text is very clear in telling us that Jesus declares the man to be clean. That is something that only a priest can do. In other words, this mere peasant, with no official position, seizes priestly authority for himself to declare a marginalized person clean. This seizing of priestly authority may be occasioned by a specific need, but it is also consistent with the theme that we have already encountered in the Gospel of Matthew, the democratizing of priestly authority and the challenge to the power of the temple. As I described in episode 6 of this series, John the Baptizer undercut the authority of the priests by providing a means for common peasants to attain ritual purity apart from the temple. Jesus is baptized into John's movement. So Jesus naturally continues this same subversive type of activity. Whether or not he actually heals the man, he does declare this man with a skin condition to be clean, which is something that, according to the law, only a priest had the authority to do. Furthermore, the manner in which Jesus makes this declaration also crosses a legal boundary. Jesus touches the man. Now, those of us who have witnessed modern religious healing rites have seen the clergy or other religious healer touch the person seeking to be healed. So we might just assume that this is simply what Jesus is doing, but that ignores the whole issue of impurity that we are dealing with in this story. 
Whether or not we are dealing with an actual healing, we are dealing in this text with an unclean person, someone who by law has been declared impure. And according to Israelite law, anyone touching an unclean person becomes unclean. By law, Jesus has made himself unclean by touching this man with a diagnosed skin condition. But Jesus doesn't play by those rules. As is always the case in Matthew, Jesus flips the script. In Jesus' movement, it is not impurity that is contagious, but rather it is purity that is contagious. When the clean touch the unclean, then both are clean. Touching is good in the new society, but I have to say not necessarily good in the current pandemic. Back to the story. The reason that he tells the man to go to the priest is unclear. He may be joking, as Aslan asserts, or it may be an act of defiance, forcing access to the sacrificial rites that have been previously denied him, as Myers maintains. But one thing seems to be certain, and that is that the witness, to or against, depending on how you translate that Greek preposition, the witness to or against the priests is some sort of message, whether hypothetical as part of a joke or an actual instruction meant to be carried out. In other words, in addition to assuming the power and authority of a priest, Jesus is sending some sort of message to the temple establishment. He tells the man that by showing himself to the priest and making the required offerings, he will witness or testify to or against them. Them is the priesthood, the temple establishment. What is the witness or testimony? Jesus seems to be putting them on notice that there is a movement afoot to no longer cede authority to them to decide who will be marginalized and who will be credited good standing in society. This movement for a new society will seize on priestly authority for the temple and intends to use that authority to reconcile everyone who has been marginalized by the priests. The use of the term witness also serves to punctuate the severity by which Jesus flips the script. The Greek word marturion is a legal word. It refers to a witness in the legal sense, as in a court setting. Throughout the story of Matthew, Jesus constructs an entirely new legal entity, a new society, which flips everything around. As he will later say, the first will be last and the last will be first. We have seen in the last three episodes that Jesus has laid down a new law or a new interpretation of the law for this new society. He will proceed to debate that law with the legal experts, the scribes, defeating them in these debates, showing how the law is not on their side as they think, but on the side of the peasants, the poor, and the outcast. In this case, he states that this act of declaring an outcast to be clean serves as a legal witness against the very judges of the established legal system. In other words, a new court has been established in which the judges, the priests, have been put on trial, and the evidence against them is mounting. The clean status of this so-called leper is the first evidence against them that Jesus introduces 
into the record. Toward the end of this gospel, Jesus will be put on trial by the high priests. But in that trial, he will tell them that he is not the one on trial. They are. He will invoke a court scene from the book of Daniel to tell them that in God's court, they have been found guilty and that all authority and power has been taken from them and has been given to the people. But all that will be the subject of a much later episode in this podcast series. For now, my name is Bert Newton. The music for this series has been provided by Bob Nolte and David Martin. Please go to our Facebook page and leave comments. This has been Episode 15 of Bible Study, Parody, and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Um.